Thank you for listening to the Five Points Parish Podcast. This is recorded at St. Paul's United Methodist Church in Tiffin, Ohio. Please visit our YouTube channel and our website for more information. Those links are found in the description below. Thank you. And now for the podcast. Good morning. Please join me in the prayer of illumination as it's printed in your bulletin and on the wall. Jesus, cast your net. We do this in your holy name. Amen. Sorry, I had to catch my breath. Our first reading today is from John chapter 21, verses 3 through 4, and then 10 through 17. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Not, now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This is how the third time, this is now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said this to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. We are officially launching our Summer of Love sermon series this morning, though we've been talking about the Summer of Love. Today begins our four weeks exploring love uh, through, through this sermon series. In the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about how we can live out the gospel of love. 
loving God and loving our neighbors as ourselves. But what does it mean to love? That's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about loving friends, loving community, loving family, and loving our God. If I could transport myself back in time, I think I'd go back to 2004 to Harvard University and I would visit Mark Zuckerberg. That might seem like an odd, <laughs> Linda finds that hilarious. That may seem like an odd place to go visit. I want you to, to uh, brace yourselves. It's nearly 20 years since Facebook has been uh, founded by Zuckerberg and a few friends. And it might seem strange that I would want to time travel back to 2004 to Harvard University, but I would go with one purpose in mind. I would make a request to Mr. Zuckerberg as he's forging forward with his new social media creation. I would request that he not call those you are connected to on Facebook friends. I have 704 Facebook friends at last count. I don't even think I know 704 people. How did I end up with so many friends? Am I a friend to 704 people? I certainly don't feel like I'm holding up my end of the friendship bargain. I've met lots and lots of people through ministry, through places I've worked, through seasons of life that I've been through. There are friends that I have from when Dominic was in elementary school and you become mom friends with people, so I have some mom friends. I'm Facebook friends with people I went to high school and college with. And I love that I get to keep up with them and see what's happening in their lives, but we've never had a high school reunion. I've been out of high school for 30 years this year. I have not seen these people in 30 years. I've never had a college reunion. Not entirely sure I would go if we did have one. But I am Facebook friends with them. And I'm grateful for the positive side of Facebook. I'm grateful that I get to keep up with people that I haven't seen potentially for many years. But I worry about the generation of young people who are growing up and thinking that Facebook's versions of having a friend is a real tried and true friendship. Now, before you send me emails, I know that you can meet people and you can be real friends with them through, through online platforms. I get that. I understand that. But I think, and I agree with a quote that I read this week. It's from a book about friendship written by John Perkins. Mr. Perkins writes, there's a lot of talk about friendship because of Facebook and social media and the internet. You can collect friends and likes, and you can begin to feel pretty good about yourselves depending on how much you accumulate. He writes, our foundation, the John and Vera May Perkins Foundation, has about 3,500 friends right now, and I suppose that's pretty good for starting out. But I'm not sure that's the kind of friendship that is strong enough to carry us through and across the hard lines that isolate us from each other. I think you can actually have a lot of those kind of quote unquote friends and still feel very lonely, separated, and afraid. This quote reminded me of our scripture reading for today. As Mr. Perkins says, he wonders about the strength of some friendships, 
especially those on social media, he wonders if that friendship is strong enough to carry us through and across the hard lines that have isolated us from each other. Have you ever been unfriended on social media? Just me? That's okay. I have. Yeah, thank you. I got an amen back there. As much as I want to say that it doesn't bother me when someone unfriends me on Facebook, it does. It bothers me, I think, even more so because the unfriending happens normally in silence. You don't know you've been unfriended. Something occurs and someone is offended or hurt, and that hurt is enough that they want to sever that online social connection, and so click, you're not my friend. I feel like it's this generation's way of hanging up on people. You ever remember the joy when you're mad? They they don't know the joy. You can push the button to hang up, but it's not the same as slamming down the phone, right? Yeah, the joy of hanging up on people. I feel like unfriending is kind of this generation slamming down the phone, except the, the person on the other end doesn't know they've been hung up on. You knew when you got hung up on, yes? You're the, hello, hello? are you kidding me, right? You had all this rage as you realize that you're now talking to yourself because you've been hung up on. But you don't know if you've been unfriended until you discover it by happen chance. You think, oh, huh, I haven't seen Linda for a while. I'm gonna go see, what? What, what did I do? This is, this is just me. This is, I'm sure none of you have been unfriended before. What? And then you start looking at their friends. Well, why didn't she unfriend her? She's way worse than me, right? You have all of this. This is not you, Cheryl. Cheryl, honey, no one has, no one's unfriended you. I think social media has changed that, the way we view friendship. I think that's what Mr. Perkins is. You want me to unfriend you? Will you feel better? I'll get my phone out. Oh, it's a unfriend, Cheryl. Social media can give us the illusion of lots of friends. And, and our young people aspire to hit certain benchmarks of likes, right? Am I right, Angie? You probably see this at school. They share a picture or a post. Oh, I only got 72 likes on that. Have 72 people ever stopped by in real life and said I had a cute outfit on? No. But 72 people online and only 72 people told me that, or they, they liked that, but they didn't comment on it. This is, what we're, this is what we're struggling against, what we're swimming upstream. They have the, I have over 700 Facebook friends, but I don't think if I was on the street and these 700 people walked by me, I think I'd have about a 50% average of knowing who they are. Mr. Perkins wondered if cyber friendship is strong enough to carry us through and across the hard lines that isolate us from each other. I know there are instances when people become great and close friends over the internet. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about that surface social network friendship. I'm talking about the hundreds, thousands even, of people who have a long list of quote-unquote friends, yet they feel alone and isolated. There is no one there to carry them through the hard times. 
There is no one there that's willing to cross the hard lines. And there, it seems, because it's so easy to attack or unfriend, that there is no one there to offer forgiveness after a fault or a mistake. In our scripture reading for today, we see a friendship that crosses hard lines, the hardest of lines. We see Jesus meeting the disciples where they are, especially meeting Peter where he was after his greatest mistake. Peter had denied even knowing Christ, yet here we find them. This is a powerful story of love, forgiveness, and friendship. This is the story of our God's grace. Jesus is offering Peter restoration. He's offering Peter the chance to forgive himself, even for denying Jesus. He's letting Peter replace his denial with his proclamation of love. This is an amazing example of how true friendship can cross the hard lines between us. If ever there was a reason for Jesus to unfriend Peter, this was the day. If ever there was a conversation that deserved to be hung up on, this is it. It was the night that Peter said, I don't even know him. I'm not with him. But our God refuses to give up on us. Amen? He refuses to give up on us. God refuses to hang up on us. God refuses to unfriend us or block us. Even on our worst day. Think about how this whole story played out. Jesus said to Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter said, no. Jesus said, he just laid it all out. You're going to tell him you don't even know me. And what was Peter's response? I would die before I do that. Do you ever have one of these super Christian moments? I would die before I would ever do that. Fast forward just hours later as Jesus is arrested and Peter is so upset, you know, we're cutting ears off of people. That's how angry he is with self-righteous indignation that how dare they come for his Jesus. Jesus had laid it all out. You're going to deny me. And then Christ is arrested. And hey, wait, aren't you with him? And Mr. I would die before I do that says, I don't know him. Weren't you one of them? comes the second opportunity. No, I'm not one of them. And then, surely this fellow, they said of Peter, surely this fellow also was with Christ. And Peter says, I don't even know what you're talking about. And the rooster crowed. He told him he would do it. And Peter said, I would rather die. And within hours, one, two, three times, he denied even knowing who he was. Within hours. 
Wouldn't you think that if you were Peter, you would have a heightened awareness to not do the thing that Jesus said you're going to do? Wouldn't you think that Peter would safeguard himself against being in a position to deny knowing Jesus? Don't you think that maybe question one would come and he'd go, two would come and he'd say, you know what, maybe I shouldn't be around people right now because clearly I can't control my mouth. Time three comes, he says, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't even know who that guy is. See, God knows us. God knows the moments that even with the best of intentions, even on the heels of us declaring that we would rather die than do the thing that God says we're going to do, that we would die than act like we don't know him. God knows us. God knows the moments that we're going to act like we don't belong to him. God knows the moments that we're going to question him and act like we're not his friend and act like we are not God's disciples. Yet, where do we find the risen Christ in our scripture reading today? Standing on the beach, having made a fire, waiting to cook breakfast and eat with his friends, even the one who said, not one, not two, but three times, I don't know you. And before we go crazy, this is not a story about how Peter got away with bad behavior. This is not a story of how how we can do things and go, well, God knew I was going to do it. No, this is a story about how great our God's grace is, that it can cover the worst things that we've ever done, that it can cover the worst moments, even when we said, I would never do that. God says, well, you probably will. That's what this story is about. That even the worst thing that Peter ever did can be forgiven and that a sorry sinner can be redeemed and restored. That's the kind of friend we have in Jesus. That's the kind of grace that our God offers to us. That's the power of God's restorative spirit that lives within us and enables us to draw close to the heart of God. That's the God who still believes in us enough. You know, if you had 12 people standing in front of you, who are you going to send forward to do your work? The guy who said he didn't know you three times? Jesus says, you're the rock. Who's not the rock then? He says, I believe in you. Our God is a God of restoration. Our God is a God of redemption. Our God is a God of commissioning because restoration and redemption is not just for us. God doesn't forgive us so we can claim that we've been forgiven so that we have an exit strategy for eternity so that we have this salvation pod that will protect us No, God forgives us so that we can be people of action because our God is a God of action. God chose a path of resistance for our redemption. God chose to put on skin and to come and live and be just as we are. God put on humanity 
and took sin that did not belong to him so that we could know that God is not afraid to do the very things that he's calling us to do. No matter what God calls us to, Jesus has done worse. No matter what God lays out in front of us, Jesus has seen it and experienced it. God is the kind of friend who crosses hard lines. God is the kind of friend who shows up when needed, no matter what the cost is. Mr. Sam Rayburn was Speaker of the United States House of Representatives longer than any other person in history. There's a story about him that reveals the kind of man and friend that he was. The teenage daughter of one of his friends died suddenly one night. Early the next morning, the man heard a knock on his door, and when he opened it, there stood Speaker Rayburn standing outside. And he said, I just came by to see what I could do to help. The father replied in his deep grief, I don't think there's anything you can do, Mr. Speaker. Well, Mr. Rayburn said, have you had any coffee? The man replied, no, they hadn't taken time for breakfast or or coffee. So Mr. Rayburn said, well, at least I can make coffee for you. While he was working in the kitchen, the man came in and said, Mr. Speaker, I thought you were scheduled to have breakfast at the White House this morning. Well, I was, Mr. Rayburn said, but I called the president and told him I had a friend who was in trouble, and so I couldn't come. Jesus stood on the beach, preparing a meal for a man who said, I don't know him. That is the embodiment of grace. Speaker Rayburn put someone else's needs over his own plans. That is the embodiment of how we are called to live into God's plans for our friendship. Jesus commanded that we love God with all that we have, body, mind, soul, and that we love our neighbors as ourselves. And as we endeavor to love God and love our neighbors and friends, we'll try to live into the words of 1 Corinthians 13, which you've heard at virtually every wedding you've ever been to in your life. So I want to read it to you in a different translation this morning from Eugene Peterson's The Message. So I want you to hear these words. This is love. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I am nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, What I believe and what I do, I am bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. 
Love doesn't have a swelled head. It doesn't force itself on others. It isn't always me first. Love doesn't fly off the handle. Doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Doesn't revel when others grovel. Takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. Love puts up with things. Trusts God always. Always looks for the best never looks back and keeps going. We don't yet see things clearly, says the word of God. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist, but it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then, see it as clearly as God sees it, knowing him directly just as he knows us. But for now, until that completion, we have three things to do to lead us toward that. Trust steadily in God. Hope unswervingly. Love extravagantly. And the best of the three is love. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you once again for listening to this podcast. If you would like further information about our church or our services, key links to our website and our YouTube channel are found in the description below. Thank you.